Hello everyone and happy new year. Welcome to the first episode of 2023 and sorry it's a little bit late but I have had some positively chaotic things going on to kickstart the year and Adobe Audition crashed on me as I was about to export this episode previously so just decided to take the week if I'm quite honest. But nonetheless this is The Modern Mind, the podcast that simply aims to explore the minds that inspire modern society by provoking thought and inspiring change. I'm your host, Fergus Crawley, and today we're going to run through 23 questions to kickstart 2023. I've curated these from Instagram questions boxes, YouTube, and DMs, and I'm going to go through them one by one. But before I do that, a couple of practical requests, please. If you are listening and have not yet hit follow or subscribe, please do so, as it is a really, really good way of helping out the show and everything behind the scenes. If you've not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so, and if you've not yet signed to the mailing list, then please do so through the show notes down below. Thank you very much in advance. Much appreciated. Big smile on my face. Cheers. As well as that, before we go any further, it is important to mention the show's sponsors, as without them, there would be no show. First up, we have Vivo Barefoot, who are my shoe of choice for about 90% of the time. I've been in them day to day for just, literally just under three years at this point, and I swear by them. I really, really do. I feel much more stable. I feel much more grounded. I feel much more in control of my entire body from the ground upwards by wearing Vivos. They are wide, thin, and flexible, which means they're nothing like conventional footwear, and that is for good reason, because they allow your foot to do their natural thing. And yes, it's a bit of a weird sensation to get used to at the start, and no, they are not the five-finger glove shoes that you might be seeing in your head at the moment. Definitely not that. I've never worn a pair and never will wear a pair. But what Vivos do is provide a fantastic option with a wide range of shoes to choose from that can fill a specific part of your day-to-day existence. Whether that's in the gym, walking the dog, to and from the office, or you take the plunge and just convert most of your footwear, Vivo have you covered. A study came out of Liverpool in 2021 as well, confirming that just by wearing a pair for six months, you can improve your foot strength by up to 60%, which has massive carryover to fall prevention, injury prevention, stability, and general robustness within your kinetic chain. So if you haven't yet given them a go, I would encourage you to do so. Choose a pair for a simple day-to-day task, wear them for a little bit and build up your volume as you go, as the change in footwear means that you'll be using your Achilles and your calves and your feet in a slightly different way, so you need to be conscious of not doing too much too soon. But if you'd like to buy yourself a pair and save yourself 10% off, use the code FergusVivo for 10% off and let me know how you get on. Next up, we have Mancave, who are without a doubt the UK's most exciting men's grooming business, as they are 100% natural, 100% recyclable, 100% cruelty-free, and 100% vegan without any compromising on performance. And they have a huge range of performance-focused products for you to choose from. Everything from weird and wonderful smelling shower gels, to shampoo, conditioner, to anti-fatigue eye gel, and everything in between. Your bathroom is covered with Mancave, and mine has been for well over a year now, and I thoroughly enjoy the products. I feel great, I smell great, and dare I say it, sometimes I look great, and that's a, a nice feeling at the end of the day. So if you'd like to give Mancave products a go, please use the code FERGUS40 at checkout to save yourself 40% off, which is an enormous amount of money to save, so do act fast. And please check them out on social media as well as Strava, where they have a thriving community that you can get involved with. So without any further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Okay, so let's kick things off. The way I'm going to put this together is read out the first name of the question asker, if I've been able to ascertain who they are. If not, I'll just read out their username, and then I will read out their question, and then I will answer their question, and we will do that for a little while, and then this podcast will be over. Okay, so Graham, question number one, what are your goals for 2023? Okay, so I have a few categories of goals. One is very black and white numbers on the board when it comes to sort of social media reach across everything. So that's Omnia, The Modern Mind, my personal YouTube, my personal sort of Instagram, TikTok kind of, whatever happens with TikTok, who really cares? And then the podcast in terms of listenership, downloads, all that sort of stuff. I won't bother giving you the figures because they're kind of specific to obviously where I am with the channel growth and everything. So there's some clear goals there. And then there are financial goals for both businesses focused on revenue principally. And yeah, there's some numbers on the board that we'd like to hit in 2023. 
And as well as this, there's a real focus on community engagement, brand building, interaction, events, lots of stuff on the go that I'm really excited to get over the line this year. I won't say exactly what everything's going to look like because we don't quite know just yet. We've got a really exciting worldwide community and I'm just really excited and really grateful to, to better serve that in some new and exciting ways. So definitely a big focus for 2023, but not actually one that I can really attach clear metrics to. So hopefully that's vague enough to cover it. From a personal point of view, I'd like to spend more time doing things that are new and exciting with Erin in sort of new places. We, we've spent some time exploring different places and not just going through the the day-to-day motions of life and weekends and things a little bit this year and I think that's been really rewarding and been a good way of rounding off the week for me psychologically so definitely going to try and book in more stuff if it's trips to Paris at the weekend. I've booked in Metallica tickets for Amsterdam in April which is very exciting as I was scrambling like mad to get them when they came out a couple of weeks, months ago, whenever it was and managed to get some which is very cool. Erin's not a huge fan of Metallica but she's coming anyway so here we are. So I'm trying to think in terms of, that sounds very business and metric focused. In terms of personal goals, I, I just want to keep moving forwards. I'm, I'm quite vague in that sense there because I think there's black and white goals that are on the board with, with what can be measured. But for the things that can't be measured, I'm not going to attach any sort of KPIs to them because I think being too rigid in your goals in terms of I want X, Y, and Z means it can be very easy to label yourself a success or a failure in any given day. Whereas if you view things a bit more holistically with a bit more of a gray area, then you you can look at where the value's been each day, each week, each month, whatever it's been. And if you were aiming for a million dollars and you finished with 999,000, it's easy to say, well, I was aiming for a million, so therefore I'm a failure. When in reality, you've obviously done a lot of good work and done a really good job to get to the 999. So whilst that's a trivial example, my point there is, my goals are KPI focused when it comes to the social media, to the business is, and in terms of general growth. And then from a personal point of view, there's some things that I just want to keep working on. There's some there's some structures and routines and habits that I want to continue to implement more effectively over, over a long period of time. But in terms of athletic goals, that is still a bit up in the air and is honestly something I'm struggling with a little bit at the moment. I've done a lot of back and forth thinking and not really come to a conclusion yet. So if I'm being honest with you, whilst I'm very, very open and talk a lot about these things, I'm actually struggling a little bit for reasons that I'm going to go into in an entirely separate podcast on why I haven't yet set and announced a big athletic goal outside the Norseman in August for this year. So thank you for your question, Graham. That was a bit of a vague and convoluted answer to kick things off. So let's try and be more refined with number two, Lindsay. Who is your favourite guest of 2022 and why? So... I think Dr. Julie Smith, because I just think her book is absolutely fantastic. She's exceptionally down to earth for somebody that has had stratospheric growth into different universes when it comes to social media reach. The book's been translated into pretty much every language everywhere, which is incredible to see. But the conversation we had was really, really valuable for me personally, left me feeling better equipped to deal with other people's mental health as well as my own. And it it felt like a therapy session. I mean, I did I did specifically ask some personal questions, so that was a bit cheeky of me to to get some psychological understanding from her perspective off the books, as it were. But nonetheless, I really really enjoyed that conversation. But it's it's difficult to pick one out because there's so much value in all of them. But I just think it was such a privilege to be able to speak to Dr. Julie in depth about the things that we did especially at a point in her career where she is having such a huge impact worldwide. I was very grateful to her for giving the time. And I do think there's an enormous amount of value in that episode for people to engage with. And do please let me know if you have listened or will listen to it, as it would be great to hear how you get on. Question number three, Andreas, dream podcast guest. Andreas? Andreas. I said that weird. Anyway, dream podcast guest. Hmm... Not really something I've thought about, actually. So the pause is telling that there isn't really somebody front of mind sitting there. I mean, it was it was Johan Hari, because Lost Connections was really a life-changing book for me, but he's been on the podcast, so that's great, obviously. But there's the obvious God-tier podcast guests of Jordan Peterson and David Goggins and Sam Harris and all that sort of stuff, but 
not really the direction I think we'll be going in 2023. It's maybe something for 2024 onwards. Who knows? Growth could be stratospheric and we'll move into that space. But there is a certain level of production. There is a certain level of input from other people in terms of help with production at my end that I'd like to get to before we really start chasing big fish. So maybe I just haven't thought about who the dream would be because I'm kind of waiting until I'm ready to go after it, I guess. But in the current climate of soundbiting things online and leveraging them for political ideology, everything's a bit risky when you get into the sort of top tier stuff. But I think I think Jordan Peterson is somebody I'd love to sit down and have a chat with because I just find him fascinating. I obviously don't agree with absolutely everything he said, but there's a lot of things that I think when translated objectively and applied to an individual can be very, very valuable. And it, it would just be a real privilege to sit down with somebody with that much experience, that much. So yeah, I, th- I, I think I think Jordan Peterson. But there's a few athletes I'd love to speak to. I wouldn't say there is one, which is, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I, I don't know. Hopefully it keeps keeps this conversation varied. It keeps the podcast guests varied and we'll see where we end up. So sorry, Andreas, another slightly convoluted and not all that direct answer, but we move on to question number four from Giordano73. So I don't know whether your name is Jordan... Oswald, and you were born in 73, or whether your name's Giordano. Anyway, near Ial versus Johan Beef. What's your opinion? <laughs> so, for anyone that hasn't listened to the episode with near Ial, he wrote Indistractable. Essentially, his proposition and thesis in that book is, is the polar opposite of Johan Hari's and Stolen Focus. And we had Johan on in January of 2022, I believe. And Essentially, Stolen Focus is proposing the idea that capitalism and big corporations are strategically trying to steal our focus to market to us. So it, it's a conscious decision to to market us away from cognitive function in many ways. I mean, that's a very rudimentary summary of it. But Nier's thesis for comparison is that everybody's fighting for marketing space, everybody's fighting for attention, but where we get it wrong and where we find ourselves endlessly scrolling and where we find ourselves being marketed to is when we lack the agency and action that draws us into that in the first place. So he gives a lot more personal responsibility to how we can be free from distraction and therefore place ourselves at arm's length from all of the marketing and the sort of capitalism and fighting for our attention that goes on. There's, there's, it can't be denied it's there. Whereas Johan's thesis is that we are we are almost subject to it and it's out of our control. So there's a pretty clear line in the sand there. And I, if I'm being entirely honest, I'm probably more in Nia's camp on this one. And that's not in any way discrediting Johan. I think Stolen, Fan- Stolen Focus is a fantastic book. And I think Lost Connections. I think Lost Connections is even better, to be quite honest. But I do massively believe in personal agency, personal responsibility, and I've experienced firsthand just how much of an impact that can have, having sort of seen both sides of the coin. And I go through periods of downtime where I can feel myself getting sucked into scrolling, sucked into distraction, procrastination, flittiness, no deep work, no focus. But then through taking action on certain things, I can very quickly find myself in a much better position overall. There's habits, the structures, there's things that we can change to put ourselves in a better position to not be distracted, to have more focus, to structure our days around these things. But I think the mistake most people make, is, to be quite honest, is that they are aware of the things that are good and bad for them, but they don't take any action on them. And I'm guilty of that, don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's still decisions I make where I, I know one more episode before bed is a bad idea, but I'll, I sometimes do it anyway. So I'm definitely more on Nier's side, but I, I believe Nier called Stolen Focus a dumpster fire, which I don't agree with. Um, but I also don't agree with Johan that we are we are helpless in the face of capitalism. <laughs> and I don't think it's fair to call it beef, Giordano, because... Johan didn't get a chance to defend himself, but I did sit as the mediator in the middle. So if anyone hasn't yet listened to the episode with Nia, please do, as it will give you a bit more context on this, and then go back to Johan Hari's episode as well, as it will then put this bigger puzzle together. So what's my opinion? I probably side more with Nia, but I think both raise fantastic points. Number five, Devon, what is your opinion on booze these days? So I did a video on YouTube on this a couple of weeks ago, probably months ago now. My goodness, time is flying. And I generally keep my booze intake very low. 
And that's quite a neat time to actually lead into another of the show sponsors, which is Days Brewing, and we'll intertwine it very much into my answer rather than do a sort of separate ad reel. So I have found that I am much more cognitive. My sleep is better, my recovery is better, my general focus is better, going back to the action and the conversation we've just had on Nier versus Johan, when I reduce my alcohol intake overall. I'm not anti-alcohol. I'm not saying everybody should not drink. I grew up in Scotland. My dad owns and runs a brewery. My graduate scheme was with a major brewer. I very much appreciate the storytelling, heritage, exclusivity, and everything that goes with booze. I think it's fascinating. It's something I really enjoy. I mean, behind me, I'm sitting with eight bottles of whiskey over my right shoulder because I just love the storytelling, the heritage of whiskey. Wine, same story. So I've considered being teetotal several times, but whenever I have this argument with myself, the conclusion is pretty simple, is that I feel teetotality is me being overly dogmatic to try and draw clear boundaries to essentially make it easier for me. Whereas the more difficult decision is to accept, like I'd said with the the question previously, what's good for me and what's bad for me? Okay, set up habits and structures around it. So going back to days, I have the fridge stocked with cold days all week or weekend, which means that whenever I want a beer, I'll reach for a days, I'll have one, maybe two of them, and the craving is completely gone. Completely gone. And I enjoy them, I get them delivered regularly via subscription, and they're there. And that means that whenever I've got that sort of desire the ceremony of a beer, I can crack a can, I can pour it into a glass, whatever it might be, and all of the ceremony is there. And when I do want a drink, I'll book it in in advance, I'll factor in time either side depending on what I've got going on. So if I've got a big training session, then I'll know that I need to have some more recovery time either side of it because booze inhibits recovery. I know that if I've got a big day on the Sunday, then I'll have to have to sort of front load work because my cognitive ability on Sunday, if I go out on a Saturday, will be limited. So I generally go out quarterly and we'll just send it and accept that I'm going to feel terrible, accept that it's going to make me feel a bit miserable in the days that follow, but I'm going to set up the days that follow ahead of time in the knowledge that that's how I'm going to feel so that I'm not punishing myself for having had a good time with my friends at a social event four, five, six times a year, whatever it may be. Because I do still enjoy going out for pints, drinks with my friends, but I use it. I use that enjoyment sparingly, and I will 100% tend to line these social events up around my events race calendar, so that for the most part, when I'm in proper focused prep for something, I'm not really drinking at all. Days for me, having them in the fridge improves my overall recovery, improves my overall cognitive ability. The habit and the ceremony of a beer is is sort of scratched. Not that I have a habit of drinking beers, but you know what I mean. And I essentially advocate for limiting alcohol strategically but if there is a time and a place where you feel justifies not doing so then by all means have at it and that's how i approach things so if you are interested in giving days a go please use the code fergus days for 30 percent off good way to kickstart the year 30 percent off that is a higher discount than previous episodes and you can give it a go as i have found it to be massively beneficial and it underpins a behavioral pattern that has had a massive benefit for me throughout 2022. So hopefully that answers things for you, but there is no denying that if you're trying to be athletic, if you're trying to build a business, if you're trying to focus on on your career, if you're trying to be present and available as a family member, then booze is going to impact that. So it's up to you to monitor how you implement that around that lifestyle and make the right decisions for you accordingly. Number six, Gasbo. (laughs) I hope your name is Gary and you have an Asbo because that'd be brilliant if that's the case. Do you have any hobbies? Seems everything you do is somehow on social slash work slash tied into content, etc. Good question, and is actually a part of the intrinsic 2023 goals that I'm currently wrestling with. I, I feel I need hobbies. So the only one I really have is golf. And I played three rounds of golf in 2022, so nice work, Fergus. But I really do struggle with the fact that I enjoy every element of what I do. I have a lot going on, even though a lot of middle-aged men on uh, YouTube seem to think otherwise. There's a trap that can often form where I've got so much going on, it's often easy to lose sight of myself, and then it smacks me in the face, where I, I get towards burnout, I've got a lot of fatigue because the training volume's high, the work volume's high, travel's high, a lot of the actual day-to-day operations of both businesses sort of fall to me. There's a pretty aggressive content cadence that needs to be adhered to. These podcasts go out regularly. There's a YouTube video every Sunday at 7 p.m., things like that. There's responsibilities left, right, and center that I need to manage, and I love managing it all. 
but it does mean that there's a trap that can appear where if the stress bucket gets to the point where it might start overflowing, I don't really realize I've got there until it's already overflowing, if that makes sense. So that's something I'm definitely going to focus on being better at this year. So I'm going to play more golf. I am going to try and be more sociable in non-alcohol-focused settings, going back to the previous question. So things like golf, things like dog walks, things like coffees during the day, lunch, dinner dates with my mates or whatever it might be, you know, all this stuff. I've been bad at that this year where I've thought, right, social occasions are whenever there's a whenever there's a birthday or something going on, I'll I'll go and join them for that and catch up with everybody all at once. Then I can go back into hibernation for a couple of months. And that's not been good for me because I have felt socially deprived through my own choosing. But yeah, that's something I want to improve. So to be honest, I'm actively seeking a few other hobbies this year. I've got a clear approach to how I'm going to be more sociable, how I'm going to be a better friend in some ways, actually. And I am going to be stricter on playing more golf. My dad has actually just recovered from hip operation, which means he can play golf again which is very cool because that's something that we can book in because, again, I probably don't spend as much time with him as I should do. He is about five hours' drive away, but we could make more stuff happen, so that's something I'm keen to do. But you are right. Everything is pretty intertwined, and I'm fortunate enough to have a partner in Erin that's very, very understanding and supportive of everything that goes on, but it can be quite relentless. It's essentially seven days a week with, with gaps whenever I can make them to do certain things. So the structure of it's great because I enjoy the... The different components but it can become quite overwhelming at points number seven shiv shivam 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 i'll go with any guests you haven't liked there's only one i'm not going to name them obviously but i just didn't get a good vibe the episode went out and if anyone would like to listen back and hazard a guess then please send me a dm and we can laugh about it if you get it right but i'm not sure if i'll tell you so send that DM and see what happens. But yeah, only one guest I haven't liked. Everybody else has been fantastic and very, very receptive from the off. I actually have a friend called Cole through in Glasgow who's had a few guests in 2022 that he's told me some stories about that are just so disrespectful in terms of certain behaviours on the call, around the call, that just make me very grateful to have had such fantastic guests. So Shivam, only one, only one. Question number eight, Alyssa. Advice for starting a YouTube channel. I'm really into fitness, nutrition, slash recipes, but don't know where to start. So, I mean, I I am not that good a YouTuber. There's some lessons I've learned in 2022 that have been very valuable. But to be honest, for most of 2022, the brief was, what are we doing this week that we can film? Let's make a video out of it. And that was not the most strategic, optimized way of building a YouTube channel, but it kept things ticking over. And it actually dug us into a bit of a hole where we were really scrambling for things creatively. I was filming training sessions. It was therefore compromising the training sessions. It was therefore making the video harder to film because I was pissed off that the training session was compromised. So there's no point in giving you all this context. Essentially, the lessons I've learned are it doesn't matter what is behind the thumbnail and the title unless people click on it. It's a big lesson for me in 2022. So the most important thing... I think is the concept of the video and then you need to bring that to life with the title and the thumbnail and then you get to work on what the actual content behind that click wall is because it doesn't matter if you've made avatar 2 on your channel with zero subscribers if nobody's clicked on it nobody's going to see it so that's the real focus point and we've actually brought in somebody recently who's, who's focusing on that and we've already seen massive massive results which is fantastic to see so Advice is commit to a cadence, be ruthless in sticking to it. For the first two years for me, it was essentially diminishing returns. And the amount of times I thought, oh, fuck this, over and over and over and over again. But just said to myself, I committed to this, keep going, keep going. And find a way to enjoy it. Film things that you enjoy, get creative about how you make it. And that means it will be a hobby. And at some point it might sort of flip the balance into being something that's more in a professional capacity and great if not and it's something you enjoy then it's a great hobby to have forevermore so in terms of fitness nutrition recipes i think you can get very creative with titles very creative with thumbnails you can get creative about what you're doing there's a clear niche and a clear personality you can bring to life there and it sounds so trite my god it sounds so trite but be yourself i can think of nothing worse than being one of these people on youtube that has to put on an act because I find it difficult enough to just get through a video where I'm talking about something I'm clued in on, know well, and I'm talking as if I am here, which is just ad-libbing with some notes in front of me. 
but to think that I would have to pretend to be somebody else with a camera would just be exhausting. So don't do that. I can't imagine that going down well, but stick at it, set a cadence, stick at it. It's brutal, but it's very rewarding. And just try and learn lessons from people that you admire as well, because if you just look at the way they've edited things, you look at the way they've put things together, you look at how they're snappy, how they're concise, how they deliver information. The world has a pretty short attention span these days, so editing needs to be more and more concise and more and more focused. So the more you can make it easier for the person watching to stick with it, the more retention you get, the more YouTube will push your videos, etc., etc. But the main advice is start, set a cadence, commit to it for a year, and if at the end of a year you've decided, you know what, this isn't for me, or you've seen some traction you want to keep going, great. But one year of editing videos, even just in skills, of talking to a camera, editing, filming, understanding settings, all that stuff, you'll be much better off in terms of your, your CV in general terms. So hopefully that helps. Number nine, Josh, all-time PBs across all the sports that you care about. Okay, so squat, bench, and deadlift. Best ever squat is 260 in competition. I did 272.5 in wraps in the gym, but it was high. Um, so it depends who's asking. Anybody that knows about lifting 260, anybody that doesn't, I'll say 600 pounds, 272.5. <laughs> uh, bench, I've doubled 160 in the gym, and I've done 160 for one in a competition. Best deadlift is 260 in comp on and conventional. So actually my best conventional deadlift is 260, but my best sumo deadlift is 250. And I did that a few weeks ago, which was very exciting. My best best 100 mile is 22 hours and 15 minutes. I haven't really done a 50K time trial. Best marathon is three hours and 17 minutes, but that was a training run. It wasn't like full send. So maybe could have been closer to three annoyingly that day if I'd sent it, but... We'll give it time. We'll give it time. Um, best 10K, 37.46, I think it was. Best 5K, 17.37. Best mile, 4.58, and that was the same day as a 500-pound squat. Um, best Ironman was the same day as a 1,200-pound powerlifting total the same morning, and that was 11.53. Um Best half, I haven't actually done one in race conditions. I think that's kind of it. I mean, best 100 last year, I did I did 12-1 at some point last year, which I'm very excited about. Spikes make a huge difference, good grief. Best 400, 50, 59 seconds, I did that last year as well. I was very pleased with that one. And then beyond that, I don't really know. Those are the things that I care about. Those are the ones that care about. Those are the ones that are front of mind. So hopefully that answers your question, but it wasn't all that succinctly delivered. So there you are. I think it's on my Strava profile if you'd like to have a look. So it's all in there. Number 10, Clifford, do you think masculinity is under attack? Wow, big question. So number 10, Clifford, oh, big question. Do you think masculinity is under attack? So to be transparent, I'm going to film a separate podcast on this because it's such a big topic and it's something I speak about very frequently in schools and corporates. And I'm not going to be massively detailed here because I, I feel it needs a lot of context for me to not be soundbited and taken out of context and I just I don't like when that happens really so do I think masculinity is under attack yes from all angles I think some angles are positive I think some angles are negative I think traditional masculinity has a lot of positive characteristics I think it has a lot of negative characteristics I think there are elements of traditional masculinity that we should emulate I think there are elements we should do away with Traditional masculinity almost killed me in 2016. However, a lot of the fundamental components of that traditional masculinity I still am very proud to maintain on a day-to-day -day basis. The only thing that has really changed in my life is emotional awareness. And first and foremost, it's an acknowledgement that as men we have emotions and they are there to be used and understood. Secondly, it's, it's trying to process them and understand what to do with them. And then thirdly, it's learning to be open and honest about them because in being open and honest about our emotions, about how we react to things, about how we control ego and confront ourselves internally, that exposes weakness and vulnerabilities. And in exposing weakness and vulnerabilities, we will find a way to become stronger at them. It's like, to put it into a lifting or a running setting, if you go to do a Romanian deadlift for the first time and you find that your glutes and hamstrings are weak as piss, then that's a good thing, really, because it means you've got a fantastic opportunity to strengthen your hamstrings and glutes, which therefore means you'll probably be more resistant to injury, you'll probably have a stronger deadlift, a stronger squat, and therefore, overall, you'll be a stronger, more efficient version of yourself. In the same way, that understanding and processing emotions, as a man, gives us an opportunity to learn more about ourselves, become better, and in any setting you place that into, family, career, otherwise, 
that makes us better off. But what's perplexing is this resistance to emotion that is still rife within men. I mean, in my friendship group, we're, we're well past it. Obviously, in the social media space that I generally operate in, we're mostly past it, but I get comments on YouTube. I've had conversations with people over a certain age. I've heard things from the older generation. You see things online. You hear about the way people perceive themselves, and there's still very much a prevalent problem here. And I think the way that some men are interpreting quote-unquote toxic masculinity as an attack from the media is that it's telling them that they can't be who they are and they, that they shouldn't be men. But the problem is their definition of what a man is is what makes them feel like they're under attack. I, I will concede that I think some media outlets, some definitions of what toxic masculinity is has spiralled out of control. In my mind, if I was to define what does toxic, toxic masculinity mean, I would suggest it is the male resistance to emotional awareness that essentially makes a lot of the positive traits of masculinity manifest themselves negatively. But if we flip that to a positive sense of self-awareness, then all of a sudden the characteristics of hardworking, providing, caregiving, supporting, strength, all these things, however they manifest themselves in the individual, because we've all got different skill sets, I think they're all positive. I think, I don't, when I say strength, I don't mean be strong, lift weights. I mean, be reliable. Understand how to process emotion if you're in crisis. If somebody comes to you with a challenge, how can you be the person that can help find the solution? And I think the, the key that unlocks masculinity in the modern world is emotional awareness. And that's all I'm going to say on that for now, because I do think masculinity is under attack. But it's too nuanced an answer to really, to, to give you a focused this is my answer to that question today. So what I'm going to do is hope that that's been a good explanation of my current point of view. I don't think there's anything that can be soundbited and taken out of out of context, so fingers crossed I don't get reeled or TikToked. But nonetheless, hopefully that clarifies things and I will do a podcast on this separately. Number 11, Tello, Tilo underscore Knight. Do you plan to do anything open to the public this year? Saw, run, thing, but anything mindset-focused? London, question mark. Um, so yes, there are plans, but bandwidth and resource and human resource, essentially, that's holding off. And it's definitely a part of the, the long-term business model for the modern mind. But it's something that I only really want to, I only really want to commit to things when I'm ready to maintain them, essentially. So for example, the run club, that was a, that was a dry run where we've got big plans for 2023 to, to build that out in the UK. And when we start events in London, London will probably be the first city that we do them in. So answer to the final part of the question there it will be mindset focused but i essentially want to get the cadence defined like with the youtube answer before i want to define the cadence what does it look like have somebody own that process and then we build from the ground upwards because i think it's all well and good trying something but unless you're ready and and available to take the lessons from it and then take further action then you could end up just treading water and whilst it might go really well if you're not ready to then capitalize on on those positive things to move them forwards from a community from a development from a marketing from a financial point of view then in my mind you will be creating additional stress and if i'm entirely honest i don't have much room for additional stress across the businesses and training this year so i'm being very tactical about how i view things and hopefully that makes sense but london will be part number one and just a reminder mailing list in the show notes down below will be the most informative place for stuff like that so yes Number 12, Klasver983. Cl How do you make money? So, I will break this down as succinctly as I can. So, two businesses. Omnia Performance, which is an online strength and endurance coaching business that I am 50% of. Johnny Payne, who's been a guest on the podcast and is my coach of five years for anyone that views from a more athletic side of things. We are 50, 50, 50 partners in that. That is that is one business there. So we we generate revenue and take money out of that from, from a salaried point of view. The Modern Mind is principally a is essentially a, a corporate well-being solutions business whereby we provide public speakers, do, most dominantly myself, but we have a network of others that we can place as well. And then there's a bit more of a consulting role going on with that for an employee engagement and more seminar and workshop-focused approach tail into 2020 to going into this year. So that is the more corporate side of what I do, which is not really something I'm, I speak about all that much on, on social media because it feels a bit separate to me. But essentially that business is growing quite rapidly, which is really exciting. And 
it means that we can open up a few more exciting ideas like the events from a more public-facing point of view that I was, I was describing earlier. Anyway, I've gone off topic. Apologies. So The Modern Mind is a corporate wellbeing solutions business with a few focus points in corporates and schools. And then there is the social media side of things. So, so there are brand partnerships, which are pretty clear. I have long-term partnerships with all the brands that I work with because I use them regularly and daily. All of the brands that sponsor the podcast, as you've heard, have been here for a long time. You won't hear me doing one-off stuff, and I'm very proud of that. And I think it's from an integrity point of view, I'd never push anything that I don't use and believe in myself. So that's why I approach things that way. So it probably means I cut myself off a little bit from ad hoc income here or there, but I would rather have predictable income to budget around big events and things like that across the year. And that comes from brand partnerships with social media deliverables, um, public appearance deliverables at certain events and things like that. And then there's Google AdSense, which is the money that you make off YouTube. And that that's growing nicely with views towards the end of the year, which is great. And that's, is that it? Is that it? Omnia, the modern mind, and then the social media stuff generally. Yeah, I think that is it. So hopefully that clarifies things. Obviously not going to give figures um, on the podcast. I plan to do a YouTube video that really breaks down how I earn money and sort of how things grow and how things develop because obviously people are keen to understand how YouTube podcasts, stuff like that are monetized. So if I can be more transparent about that, then fantastic. Question 13, James, death row meal. Hmm. Probably a pizza. I don't know whether it's because I was fairly boozed or whether it's because it was actually excellent, but when me and my brother went to the November Awards in February 2020, we got back at like midnight and ordered a pizza from somewhere in southwest London. And in my head, I've just got the memory of it being the most incredible thing I've ever tasted in terms of pizza. And I'm a, I'm a bit of a pizza connoisseur, if you don't know. So probably that place. I don't know what it was called, again, because I was, I was half cut. Well, I was about six pints deep, which is enough to <laughs> send me sideways at this point in my life. But... Yeah, it was delicious. It was delicious. And we did have to eat it quietly as well because my flatmates at the time were... So maybe it was like the, the naughty schoolboy at the back of the classroom sort of effect where you, it's so much funnier because you, you didn't want to laugh. Maybe it was so much more delicious because we didn't want to be heard or because we were just really hungry. Anyway, maybe it's one of these things where if I just maintain the illusion in my head and have it as a dream rather than a reality, then that pizza will forever be the holy grail of food for me and... If I do ever find myself on death row, that probably means that it would be very disappointing. So what started off as a positive kind of entertaining answer has actually become quite bleak. Moving on. Number 14, Ashley, why do you think the double brutal took so much out of you? Was it surprising? So yes and no. I, through experience, know that what goes up must come down. So big, long prep, big, long focus, telling the story on social media, really trying to work my schedule around getting the training in around developing businesses and, and workload and everything that's a challenge but essentially the harder the event the more demanding that process is so it's more of a spike in terms of the up before the down as it were so I essentially factored in eight eight to ten weeks I anticipated off the back of the double where psychologically I'd just be in a slump so physically I could sort of move but I wasn't really that excited about training you just kind of go through the motions to keep things ticking over but one session might fatigue you more than it used to one session might actually be easier than you expected it's just a bit unpredictable because you're in this slump that's come from a long period of spiking stress excitement adrenaline everything and i was sleep deprived as well so on physio on paper purely you're looking at purely on paper you think all right okay big training lots of lots of work lots of lots of uh training volume and then you've got the event so you're obviously sleep deprived from the event because i only got 15 minutes of sleep in, in the whole weekend so then a couple of days to catch up on sleep. By the end of the week, you'll have recovered from it physically in terms of like residual fatigue in your muscles and things. Obviously, joints will be a bit sore, and but you should have caught up on sleep. So you could you could easily think, oh, well, you'll be fine. You'll be fine in a week. But the fatigue manifests itself in a very different way, which means that the more you prep for something I've found, essentially, it's, it's almost like for like in terms of how long you prep for it versus how long it takes to recover from. And... Honestly, I'd say only last week have I really found my appetite for training consistently with focus to return rather than just going through the motions because it's what I do or because 
I need to keep this to hold on to the fitness that I have. The, the the real buzz to be going into the gym or the real buzz to be lacing up my shoes or the real buzz to be clipping into my bike has been missing. And I've anticipated that, but it was longer than expected. So to be completely transparent, as I spoke about in the video, the process of getting to the double brutal came at a period of time where there was lots of stuff going on with both businesses, social media stuff was ticking over well, which meant that there were lots of opportunities to capitalize on. And I was doing my best to juggle all these things while still maintaining 28, 30-ish hours of training a week. And I bit off more than I could chew at a few points and it really caught up with me. I didn't build in enough downtime in my schedule to spend with Erin and the dogs, which meant that I felt always on. And after about three, four weeks of doing that, I kind of got used to that, which meant that when I tried to work in some downtime, I couldn't actually switch my brain off and that became very frustrating. So once the double brute was over, I was just so thrilled that I'd done the work, it had all been worth it. But being spat out the other end meant that that slump was really aggressive. So was it surprising? Yes, it took longer than I expected, but I was expecting to feel the way that I did. But now the problem I have is that it's difficult to think of anything endurance focused in 2023 that I'm going to be able to make work that is as exciting as the double brutal. And if I'm not excited about a training goal, I find it much harder to time block the sessions rather than sit in the office and do another hour's work because I, I enjoy what I do. And I'll only, I do this because I enjoy it. I prioritize because I enjoy it. And that's what I advocate other people to do as well. So I'm currently a bit of a crossroads in terms of what 2023 looks like in terms of athletic goals. And we will find out soon what that looks like. But yeah, I think any anyone that sets their sights on a big, hairy, scary goal and needs to manage it alongside other things, which will be pretty much everybody listening unless you're a professional athlete, I'd imagine. You need to be aware that there's going to be a slump. And yes, you can build in goals. Yes, you can have your teeth stuck into something straight away afterwards. But you, you need to you, you do need to be careful. You need to be aware. You need to have a good support system around you. You need to be aware that a huge spike will come with a slump. And you shouldn't just go full relaxation mode because you've got used to a very intense existence. So you almost need to taper yourself off that intensity to a baseline of day-to-day -day life. Because what I did was I was so minced after the uh, double brutal that I kind of probably got a bit comfortable for a month or so. And then that was so different to the way I'd been existing for the prep, throughout the prep that I didn't really feel like myself. And then that's where the psychological challenges started to develop. And here we are. So hopefully that answers your question. All, all I'll say in general terms is if anyone's training for the first marathon, the first ultra, the first Ironman, just be conscious that the back end of it part of the process is going to be a bit of a come down effect and that doesn't make you weird that doesn't make you ill prepared it doesn't make you different it's just very much a part of the process and something to embrace something to learn from and something to be honest and open with those around you about number 15 pt chan 12 social media overall net positive or negative so from a personal point of view massive net positive i actually don't spend all that much time engaging with social media i'm quite limited on that because i just find it a bit distracting so i kind of i'll spend 15 20 minutes of scrolling a day i'll watch more youtube than i will other stuff but you won't find me on tiktok flicking my thumb up and down etc but i think overall globally net positive i think I, I, again it goes back to the near and johan agency personal responsibility structural thing that we discussed before, whereby it's easy to point fingers at the, the social media companies. And yes, there's more they could do in terms of regulation, don't get me wrong. But I do feel that people find it easier to point blame than they do to, to blame themselves and take agency. And that's something we can all collectively work on. I think the connections that have been made, the lessons that have been learned, the causes that have been shone a light on, the people we've never, we never would have heard about if social media didn't exist, the way that people can build careers, the way that people can share a message, the information that can be disseminated, the things that can be learned, it has opened the world up in a way that is is unbelievable. And it's one of the, the best uses of technology ever. I've made some great friends through social media. Yes, you'll get comments on social media that will wind me up every once in a while, but that's humanity. You, you essentially get a a microcosm of humanity and it's up to you to curate your social media feed based on as we discussed earlier the emotional awareness and the way that you respond to things i think if you know that you respond badly to seeing kerry and a boyfriend on holidays all the time and it makes you feel like you should be doing that then unfollow kerry and a boyfriend if it doesn't give you joy bin it i think that's marie kondo 
Is that Marie Kondo? I've not actually seen that, but I think it was... Was it Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Marie Kondo? Yeah, if it doesn't give you joy, get rid of it. Same applies to social media. So I only follow people and engage with people. That I, I, I don't follow anyone that have jealousy or envy or comparison because it just make me miserable. And I have the power to avoid that. So, so why give the power to somebody else? Obviously, from a mental health point of view, people can develop negative relationships with social media. And I think where I should probably definitely be more nuanced with this conversation is teenagers, kids. It's very, very difficult to monitor. And I am scared of having children in this world where social media is the way that it is. And I want to acknowledge there's obviously parents out there that have lost children tragically to cyberbullying or or a negative interaction with social media. And and the easy thing to do is to point fingers at the, the tech companies and say, well, they should have done more, they should have done this. And whilst I agree... To some degree, and I, I want to make clear, I, I, I've I've had conversations with parents, I've had conversations with with friends, with 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 colleagues in this space. So this isn't me sharing an opinion online because I'm a white male that just wants to say a lot. I want to make that clear. It, it it's coming from a understanding the narrative internally from people that are in it because I don't have kids, but I'm scared to have kids in this social media era, and TikTok terrifies me to be quite honest. But I think. I don't have the solution. I, I don't know exactly how to navigate this, so I don't want to speak out of turn, but there are undeniably negatives that have come from social media. I think it's a net positive overall. Maybe I'm biased because of the way that I exist and interact with it. I'm fortunate enough that I've always had a good relationship, and I'm sure if there was a parent sitting here that children's had a really bad experience with it, then they'd probably be on the complete other side of the spectrum. But I'm hoping that with education, initiative, and a better understanding from a bit of a trickle-down generational thing, we can better understand how to manage teenagers, kids on social media, and maybe the tech companies, maybe Apple, Android, etc., will be able to in-build or retrofit some form of restriction management that makes it easier to, to monitor. Because I know TikTok has ways you can moderate what kids see, and obviously you can do the same on Facebook, you can do the same on Instagram, but kids are kids they'll find a way to work around these things and, and that that is that is the challenge that we are faced with simple as that I, I don't have the answer um but i just want to make sure that i am completely acknowledging the the negative side of social media and how that can affect people and how it has horrifically affected families all over the world um i don't want to be insensitive to that so whilst for me personally and and generally speaking i think there's been a net positive in terms of how it's opened up the world with that with that positive has come negative and I don't have the solutions. So I'm going to move on and really do open up questions and DMs, messages, whatever it is around this, because I'd love to have the conversation in some capacity and potentially something I'll do a YouTube video on in general terms. 16, 8B000, ever thought about joining the military? Yes, I have. However, I am asthmatic, have terrible eyesight, and I'm allergic to peanuts, which means I wouldn't even be able to fill in my name on the application. I have explored a few options and ways I could work around it, but there is just no possible way of doing it even reserves, just just no way of doing it at all, unfortunately. It was something I wanted to explore. It's something occasionally I, I get the itch to explore, but it's just completely off the table, which makes it easier to not lose sleep over it. Number 17, Will, how do you use caffeine? So, one of the sponsors of the podcast, Human24, will provide my first dosage of caffeine every single day through the form of Rise. So I will wake up and generally leave 90 minutes between starting my day and having my first serving of rise, which is caffeine, nootropics, and electrolytes, 125 milligrams of caffeine. And then I'll have a coffee or a sugar-free monster before midday, and that's it. That's all I use it for. I will not have caffeine after midday. I keep my dosages quite low, not into pre-workout, not into using caffeine as a crutch. I think people are far, far too dependent on caffeine in this day and age. The only exception... Only exception is very long drives, because if I feel myself falling asleep at the wheel, I, I do know that a spike of caffeine will help get me there. So that's when I'll strategically use it to get me through things. Obviously, there's then a performance point of view. If I've got a big lift, at, if I'm going to do a squat PR at 4 p.m., then I'll probably make an exception to the rule. If I'm 28 hours deep into an ultra, for example, I'll implement some caffeine then. But interestingly, I will hold off on caffeine as long as I can to then have a big dosage and then sort of steadily keep keep dosages coming in from that point onwards. So using an ultra as an example, if I was doing a 100k, I'd hold off caffeine for as long as I could and then try and keep my first dosage for 60, 70k rather than having it at the start and then relying on it the whole way through. I think caffeine in the modern world has got a bit out of control where people associate 
coffee, caffeine with starting their day, which means that if they don't have access to it, they can convince themselves they feel terrible, they can switch off, their work day can be inhibited. And I think a lot of people could do with improving their relationship with caffeine and better understanding how to how to use it, how to not use it, and how to move away from it being a crutch. Because I have used it as a crutch in the past when I was living and working in London. It was definitely something that I used in that sense. But I feel way better. My sleep is much more reliable. And it's I've not nailed my approach, but I've got what works for me, which is essentially keep it under basically 300 milligrams a day on average every second day, max. And yeah, that's that. Caffeine curfew, limit my usage, and don't use it as a crutch is essentially the, the top line summary. Number 18, another Fergus. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. Any dream athletic project slash adventures? Yes, loads. I would like to get to the point in my life where I do one big project every year. So I'm I'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to figure out what the next couple of years looks like to to to, to make that happen because training, planning, logistics, documentation, all this stuff is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, which means that more and more needs to go into each project, which means that I can do less and less in a year. So I'm trying to be tactical and strategic about what I want to do before I decide that actually maybe I should just slow down a little bit. Um, but adventure, community interaction, I'm not that interested in going the furthest, the fastest, really, unless it's in the space of hybrid stuff. I'm not drawn to yeah, I'm really not drawn to the competitive nature of certain things because people get too shouty from their own boxes and have too many opinions and it just ruins it for me. I want to tell stories, I want to bring people along for the ride, I want to have fun doing it, I want to encourage other people to try new things. That's kind of the top line summary. And there are a few athletic projects and adventures that will help get me there. And then there's a few selfish ones like there's a few mountains I like to do. I'd love to do Mont Blanc. I'd love to do that with Johnny, in fact. And there's places I'd like to go. There's ways I'd like to explore places. So riding east to west of America or west to east, I think is the preferable route. Running across it, Land's End, John O'Groats. There's loads of stuff I'd love to do, loads of stuff. But there's not like a blue sky, North Star one. I'm like, oh, I want to do that at some point. There isn't one of those. Number 19, elite underscore risk UK. Do you think university is worth it? Mm, Broad question that I'm going to try and be concise as and I'm conscious this is getting quite long. So... Generally speaking, no, I don't. And that comes from somebody that was an Oxford applicant. I was rejected sort of post-interview stage and ended up going to the graveyard, Durham. I studied theology and religion, and I studied theology and religion as a way of improving my odds of getting into Oxford, not because I wanted to study theology and religion. So that just goes to show that I was trying to game the system, and I don't think a system like that is one that should be gamed. I... I firmly believe that vocational application of degrees is useful, but I think that the critical thinking argument, the skills that you learn, do not outweigh the cost and time arguably lost at university that could be spent developing you in other ways. So, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think the education system at university, from my experience, is set up for learning. It's set up for box ticking and grades. And the way those grades translate into day-to-day life, I don't think is a logical use of three years or four years or five years, depending on what you're doing. I think it's too expensive. I think it's cost prohibitive and overly biased in terms of your parents' up, uh, your parents' income. I, I, I think it's become difficult to to know where you belong at universities, and I, I have made some of my best friends. I've met some people that will be very valuable later in life. I've made some fantastic connections, and I think that's the value in the university for me. But how, well, obviously I am where I am, so everything that's come before me has, has put me here. So I'm not going to say I wish I'd done it differently, but it'd be interesting to know how different my life would be had I spent the three years that I spent at university in a corporate environment or learning learning entrepreneurial skills, etc. Things that were actually applicable to moving me forwards in life rather than a piece of paper with a number on it and a very upset liver. Yeah, drinking culture is the the whole other argument there, but I think we'll just avoid that entirely. So do I think university is worth it? Overall, if you are a lawyer, doctor, physiotherapist, where your degree will teach you the skills that can then be applied into a professional setting, yes. If it is a degree that is purely for a piece of paper with a number on it, I personally, having been one of those people with said piece of paper, believe no. Number 20, Mr. X1576. (laughs) 
Shag, marry, kill. Andrew Tate, Piers Morgan, Joe Rogan. So, kill Piers Morgan, straight off the bat, done. Um, I would probably marry Andrew Tate because I could probably get a pretty healthy divorce settlement. And, I mean, Joe Rogan's wouldn't be bad either, to be fair. Ah, but then again, I would be married to a very controversial character. Oh, good point. Uh, hmm. Now, you know what? I'd marry Joe Rogan because that feels like a steadier, a steadier long-term long-term relationship uh, with less controversy and stress. So then it'd be shagging Andrew Tate. This is, yeah, I hope my parents aren't listening to this. If you are, mum and dad, sorry, this is a question that was asked and I thought it'd be funny to answer, but now I'm saying it out loud. I don't love myself saying it. But yeah, there we are. There's the answer. 21, Peter, what was your last real job? So first of all, I despise the phrase real job because the amount of times I see it in Facebook threads and YouTube comments from people that clearly hate their own jobs and therefore want to reflect their own sense of bitterness on those that are doing something that they might perhaps like to be doing. I don't like the phrase real job, because I think the beauty of the modern world is that people can carve their own path, there's much more creative ways to make a living, and there's much more creative ways to essentially generate income and generate brands, teams, opportunities, and I think that's an amazing thing. The world has adapted, people have adapted, and if people are willing to move with the opportunities, fantastic. People have also asked the question of themselves, do they want to earn more money and hate their job? Or do they want to earn less money and enjoy their job? And I think we we have more options now than we did, which is great. But I think there's a lot of people that, the, the people that shout the loudest online about that sort of thing are generally the people that are most discontented in their own day-to-day -day life. And it's something I try and rise above, even though there are some comments that still really do rile me up. Anyway, Peter, if that's not the way you intended it, I'm not coming at you. I just want to clarify, but the, but just the phraseology is something that I, I just want to clarify from a personal point of view. And my last real job was I was in the marketing department at Vivo Barefoot. So I joined the business because I love the brand and they have a fantastic ethos and are growing like mad. And I left them in March of 2021. So most of my YouTube, social media, athletic stuff has been developed on top of having a full-time job. I did that for three years. So it's another example of actually that for a long time, things like YouTube, things like podcasting, all that stuff is, is diminishing returns for a long time until it's not. So if there's things you want to pursue alongside your full-time work, then it's all a case of prioritizing and time blocking and stuff like that. So hopefully that answers your question longer than it needs to be. But here we are. Atlas is Atlask, I think Arabic sort of, maybe I'm not going to try and butcher that. But anyway, Atlas is a... Did you all goals 2022? So I think that means did you accomplish all goals 2022? Pretty much. I wanted to hit 50,000 YouTube subscribers. We finished the year on 48. So just below it, but I'm not going to lose sleep over it because pretty close. We had a lot of fun doing it and there were some challenges towards the end of the year that we worked through effectively. And for that, I'm proud. So everything is growing. Everything is working well. I'm enjoying the process and that's what matters. So I'm not going to let a number on a page that I chose to set bring me down. So yes, essentially, for the most part, all goals for 2022 were exceeded, which is which is fantastic. So I, I, I did finish the year feeling really good and had a fantastic time reflecting on it on New Year's Eve as I sort of really got an opportunity there to sit down with my friends and just look back at the year that had been and got excited for the year to come. Final question, number 23. Chris, what camera kit and editing software do you use? So I'm currently recording this on Adobe Audition, which is where I will edit this and then upload it to Buzzsprout, which will spit it out across all podcast platforms. I am recording on a Blue Yeti microphone, which I will use for voiceovers on YouTube sometimes. In terms of video editing for YouTube, I will use Final Cut Pro. In terms of video editing on my phone, I will use Video Leap. I said that weird. I said that like a parent would say WhatsApp. Can you WhatsApp? No, no, that's how I'd say it. Can you WhatsApp me? It's WhatsApp. Video Leap, not Video Leap. Okay, I digress. Anyway, Video Leap for phone stuff and other stuff I've covered. In terms of kit, I have an Ace, a Sony A7 III, which is about to be upgraded to a Sony A7S III. We have three lenses for that from Tamron. I have a Rode VideoGo microphone, shotgun microphone. I have three wireless Go Rode Lavelle mics. I have a Sony ZV-1, which is a little on-the-go vlogging camera that you can see yourself in. I have a GoPro Hero 11 with accessories. Uh, we've got a monitor. We've got a small rig cage. We have... I don't think there's anything else. Um, down lighting, soft lighting, key lights, tail lights, all that stuff. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, drones, yeah. We've got uh, access to an FPV drone, a DJI 
Mini 2 or 3 and a DJI Pro 2 or 3, whatever the latest one is. So yeah, we're pretty well stacked, but we, we really do like to invest in the channel and a lot of the nature of filming things in the way that we do, in the places that we do, is very, very challenging. So I know there's people that are interested in that sort of thing and people have asked about doing a YouTube video on what I use and how I break it down. It's probably not something I'll do in the channel. So if you do have any questions, just send me a DM and I'll, I'll probably drop you a kit list that I've got for, for reference. Because um, as I'm not a sort of camera video production channel, I think it would bomb. And I don't like it when YouTube videos bomb. So anyway, job done. There we are. So 23 questions to kickstart 2023. And I hope that you've enjoyed that. That was a bit more colloquial than normal. Hopefully you've got a bit more of an insight on my opinions on a few things. I've been deliberately sort of, not vague, but deliberately top line on a few things because there's a few key topics in there that I really want to develop in podcasts in and of themselves. And for the sake of time, I don't want to read out a biblical length answer at this point that I haven't really prepared, which means it'd take longer than it'd need to and I'm doing it right now. So anyway, I want to thank you all very much for being here. Really, really pleased with the growth of the podcast last year. So thank you all so, so much. Very excited for this year. Please do fire over DMs, emails, suggestions, whatever you want with who you'd like to hear from this year. And we will be launching a Modern Mind members community online very, very soon with a lot happening in there. So keep your eyes peeled. Make sure to join the mailing list. Please do engage with the brands that are very kindly support today's podcast. So Vivo Barefoot, Fergus, Vivo for 10% off. Man Cave, Fergus, 40 for 40% off. And Fergus Days for 30% off at Days Brewing. And let me know over social media how you get on or if you have any questions. Other than that, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.